Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So for the past two years, I've been reflecting a lot on Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman in John 4, because it's one of the most quoted passages in the writings of Jean Vanier, a man who I have admired for many, many years. Jean Vanier was the founder of the community of L'Arche, which is now a worldwide federation of more than 150 communities made up of people with and without intellectual disabilities, working for a world where every body belongs. Jean Vanier's writings and ideas have played a significant role in the shaping of my vocation as a pastor and as a theologian. For many years, I have considered Jean Vanier a friend, and I will never forget my encounter with him years ago. My encounter with him and the community of L'Arche gave me hope. And ever since, I've devoted much of my research and writing, witnessing to their witness. This is why I had entitled my second book, Jean Vanier, Philosopher, Friend, and Instrument of Peace, which would have been published later this year, If it weren't for the bombshell revelations that surfaced three weeks ago, that Vanier had manipulative and coercive sexual relationships with at least six women between 1970 and 2005. Jean Vanier died at the age of 90 last May. He was a hero to millions of people around the world and had even been considered a living saint before his death. At the time of his death, Pope Francis said of Vanier, he was a man who was able to read the Christian call and the mystery of death, of the cross, of illness, the mystery of those who are despised and discarded. I want to thank him and thank God for having given us this man with such a great Witness. Three weeks ago, nearly a year since his passing, the community of L'Arche released their summary of findings from an investigation based on allegations of abuse of women who had lived in L'Arche over the years. Before his death, Vanier was questioned by leaders of L'Arche and close friends about these allegations. He was offered multiple opportunities to come clean and confess, but he didn't. He denied it. Three weeks ago, the world learned that Jean Vanier had sexually abused at least six women over the past five decades. 
Now, before I continue, I think it is vital to say that I condemn Vanier's actions. And I applaud the women involved for speaking out and shining light into the darkness. I regret the devastating pain that these women have carried along with the burden of their abuse in a world that idolized and venerated Jean Vanier. I commend L'Arche for their fearless transparency about its founder's far-reaching transgressions and praise L'Arche for their support of Vanier's victims who have been harmed and deeply wounded. L'Arche is a shining light for the church and the world to see. But in the dim light of these revelations, I have been struggling with so many questions about the legacy of this man and his message. Yet there are other questions that have been haunting me over the past three weeks in light of these revelations. What are the hidden things in me? The stuff where I'd rather die than have it come to light. What are the hidden things in me? The damage of sin and shame that I cannot admit to. What are the hidden things in me that I am always afraid of someone else knowing? The things about myself I would rather keep hidden. And it doesn't necessarily have to be sin related, actually. And how much of this Hidden stuff deep down has a hold on so much of what I do. The work and busyness of my life that might actually be helping me to either hide or ignore the things I've kept hidden away. If I'm honest, and that's the question, isn't it? How honest am I willing to be right now? If I'm honest, there are parts of me, vulnerable and wounded parts of me, that are the result of my own sin, as well as the sin of others. And it has effects in my life. If I'm honest, it's these broken and fragile parts of me that often drive me. You know, sometimes I feel like I have to overcompensate for these wounds. Other times, I lie. I lie about how they don't exist. I even try to convince others in the same way. If it's not one or the other, then I'm probably trying to gain the attention of others as a way to self-medicate, as a way to self-heal myself of these wounds, pretending that I can do better What only God can do. And to be honest, I don't think that I am alone in this. We are all wounded and vulnerable. I really do believe that each and every one of us are hiding in some way or another and are in desperate need of a Savior at every moment of our lives, a Savior who will mercifully draw near and lead us into light and true life.
This is the story of the Samaritan woman. A story of a nameless, marginalized, and wounded woman who did not want to be seen. Who, like Adam and Eve, also failed at playing the game of hide and seek because God comes near. And this is the good news of the gospel, that God comes near and gives her true life. Did you know that John 4 is the longest recorded conversation Jesus has with anybody in all four gospels? And it happens to be with a woman from the wrong place who lived a life others have and still to this day consider undesirable. According to the guidelines of the ancient world, Jesus talking to a lonely Samaritan woman was a definite no-no. It was considered socially unacceptable. In our gospel lesson this morning, John the Apostle tells us a story. A story of an encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus was traveling by foot during the hottest part of the day, and he had no provisions. Dried out from the heat, he was thirsty and was in need of a drink, but he didn't have a cup to draw water from a well. Now around this same time, a Samaritan woman walks up with a jar, and he asks her for a drink. In a day and age where Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other, Jesus doesn't seem to mind that this was a Samaritan woman. Even after the woman acknowledges that they are different, which was a clear sign that he shouldn't be talking to her and that she did not owe him a response, Jesus continues the conversation. Jesus draws near. Fully aware of all the social, ethnic, and gender barriers that would have prevented Jews and Samaritans from crossing paths, Jesus transgresses these boundaries and enters into a relationship with someone no one would have considered having much significance, value, or dignity. Jesus draws near. Now, we don't really know why the woman has come to the well during the hottest part of the day. There are some people who connect this fact to the conversation that occurs later in John 4, verse 17. When Jesus tells the woman that he knows that she has had five husbands and that he knows that the man that she is currently with is not her husband. And while there are a lot of assumptions about what this actually means, we simply do not know why she has been married so often. What we do know is that Jesus isn't surprised by these facts about her life. And Jesus doesn't invite her into repentance as he does the woman caught in adultery in John 8. She very easily could have been widowed multiple times or have been abandoned or even divorced because she was infertile. As one commentator suggests, five times would be 
heartbreaking, but not impossible. Further, she could have been emotionally and economically destitute, living with someone that she was utterly dependent upon. There are a number of ways of understanding this woman's story being filled with tragedy. Whatever the case, I think it's safe to say that she was deeply wounded. Such tragedy could be the very reason she was at the well at noon, rather than in the cool of the morning going about her daily morning tasks with other women in the community. Or perhaps she just didn't want to be seen. Or she knew others didn't want to see her. Who knows? All we know is what John tells us. That she came to draw water at noon when no one else most likely would have been there. And God shows up. Jesus draws near. For just a few seconds, I want us to reflect. When has God shown up in a surprising way in your life? When has God caught you off guard? It often happens in places outside of these church walls, right? Jesus draws near. In verses 9 through 15 in John 4, Jesus and the Samaritan woman begin talking. Jesus asked her for water and she offers him a rebuttal based on what she had learned was socially unacceptable. You are a Jew and I a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Yet Jesus is persistent. He is relentless in pursuing relationship with the Samaritan woman and he continues the conversation saying, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answers, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here. To draw water. In what seems like a matter of seconds, this Samaritan woman begins to let down her defenses and she begins to draw near to the one who has been drawing near to her all along. As the encounter 
and conversation continues. She begins to ask about the water Jesus has been referring to. And right when she begins to hope, right when she begins to trust in this random man that she's never met, Jesus pierces into the depths of her soul and shines his light onto the deep wounds in her life. Possibly the stuff where she might rather die than have it come to light. The stuff she'd rather not remember, the damage of shame and sin that is difficult to admit. Jesus tells her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five Husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is true. Now, on the surface, it seems as if Jesus is changing the subject, but he's not. He's actually getting to the heart of the matter. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, John tells us that Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone. John 1, 9. Jesus is the true light that shines into the darkness. And here, Jesus shines even brighter into what seems like the resignation, the defeat and cynicism, the skepticism of a wounded woman without a name from a place where no Jew would dare to venture. And what does Jesus do? Jesus avoids all the superficial nonsense and he pierces into the soul. Jesus is aware more than any that any and all talk of God is only superficial when we are hiding our hearts. So what does Jesus do? He pierces into her soul to a woman who had loved and lost so many times. A woman whose heart was continuously broken. Jesus says, I see you. I know your plight. I love you. Here I am. Receive mercy. Receive life. Receive love. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus sees her. She exists. For Jesus, she has worth, she has value, she has significance, deep wounds and all. And when he speaks of her past, both knowingly and mercifully, she realizes that she is in the presence of a prophet, maybe someone who is even greater than a prophet and asks, where is the proper place of worship? 
And her question is heartfelt because it strikes at the very core of what separates her from Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He surprises her with an answer that is full of hope and better than she or anyone could have ever imagined. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus' response is full of hope because it includes her. Jesus draws near. And it is at this point in the story she begins to sense that Jesus might just be the Messiah. Yes, Jesus says, I am. Upon hearing Jesus' response, the woman leaves behind her jar. A simple jar that held water that would never be able to quench her thirst or flow over her deepest insecurities and wounds. It's as if she realized that though the water could cleanse, Jesus' water could heal. So she leaves her jar and she runs to town and she becomes an agent of that very healing. Leaving her jar at the well, she goes and she tells her neighbors about this man, Jesus. This woman just encountered the living God. And not just any God, but a loving God who is non-judgmental. And non-threatening. This encounter leads her to witness to the one who draws near. This woman with no name becomes one of the first witnesses of the gospel. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Verse 39. So how does this passage speak to our lives? Earlier I said that Jesus surprises the woman with an answer that is full of hope and better than what she or anyone could ever imagine. It was full of hope because it included her, a Samaritan woman. And it was better than she or anyone could ever imagine because it includes anyone, even someone as unlikely as us. Like the Samaritan woman, we are seen by Jesus. We are loved by Jesus. And all of us have the capacity to bear witness to the one who brings light and life into our lives and world and gives us living water to satisfy us 
Even our deepest thirst flowing over our deepest wounds. And this story is not only about seeing or being seen by God, but also being able to see God. Being able to see God is in Jesus Christ. It is about receiving the gift of living water that leads to worship. It's about becoming a witness for the living water. To a woman who had loved and lost so many times, Jesus says, I see you. I know you. I know your plight. And I love you. Receive mercy. Receive life. Receive love. For I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus says to you and to I, to us, you want to stop trying to quench your thirst with all these things that will never satisfy. You want eternal life, then it starts with being seen by God. It starts with the truth, the naked truth of your original wound, of your original beauty and every good and every bad thing about you. Here I am. Jesus says, drink and let my living water flow to your deepest wounds. Let me see you. Stop hiding. Here I am. Here's mercy. Here's life. We are currently in the season of Lent. And this is a season, a time of repentance and confession. It is an opportunity for us to come out of hiding and to lay our burdens of sin and shame down at the feet of our Savior. Lent gives us an opportunity to bring those hidden things to light. Those things that are so deep within, that are so difficult to admit to ourselves and to others. If you're wondering, how can I move toward true repentance, toward confession, please come see me or any of our clergy. We would love to walk with you on this journey of healing. Please stop hiding. And I know it's hard to move toward true repentance because it calls us out of ourselves and it actually requires us to ask forgiveness for our sins and to forgive others who have sinned against us. It forces us to come face to face with those deep wounds that we've tried so hard to protect, to hide away or deny. But God sees. God knows. This is how known and seen you are by God. No matter what sins, wounds, no matter what damage you hide away deep inside of you from yourself and from others, 
God sees. God knows. And God offers mercy that is like living water that will flow to the depths of your pain and woundedness and bring forth life. Sisters, brothers, let's leave our jars behind and draw near to the one who draws near to us. Jesus draws near. Amen.